Thank you for joining us and welcome to another edition of Answers Network. I'm your host, Alan Cardoza. And for those of you that have been listening, sending in questions and comments, thank you so much. And please continue to help spread the word that every Monday from 11 a.m. to noon Pacific time, this show will bring on special guests that can inspire, educate, and in some cases entertain while bringing answers and options to making our lives happier, healthier, and more successful. Now, I'd really appreciate it if you would all do me a big favor. Please forward one of our shows to your social media group and to someone you know who can benefit from a particular subject. This is one powerful way we, together, make positive through influence. Joining us as my co-host today is Rachel Coe. Rachel is a multi-passionate entrepreneur and a trauma-informed certified recovery life coach. She is the co-owner of Transformational Solutions, and a life coaching company that focuses on helping people overcome challenges with mental health and compulsive behavioral addictions. Now, having known her since she was a teenager, I can attest that Rachel is motivated to help break the stigma of addiction and show people how to have a purposeful, driven, meaningful life. She is also an actress, singer, writer, and conscious parenting advocate. Rachel, thanks for joining us. And so tell me, how are you and your beautiful family doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy right, right now, as my therapist always asks me, she's like, how are you doing right now? And in this moment, I feel so grateful and happy. And I just celebrated Halloween with my four-year-old son yesterday. So, um, you know, seeing, seeing him say trick or treat to people is is such a it's just such a beautiful experience so i'm i'm so grateful to be here i'm so grateful to you know ask a million questions today and see you alan and get to know you erica and i'm just so excited all right well let's jump right into it then because our topic today is also the title of our guest's new book your body your best friend End the confidence crushing pursuit of beauty standards and embrace your true power gotta love that now I think everybody knows we live in a society that is overwhelmed with messages of how women should be and should appear. And it's easy for them to internalize these messages and become their own harshest critics. Now, our guest, Erica Mather, is a lifelong teacher who has struggled with emotional overeating and compulsive overexercising. Now, as an embodiment educator, she guides people to feel better in and about their own bodies. Now, her Adore Your Body transformational programs help people overcome body image challenges and the Yoga Clinic of New York City, where she teaches, helps students, teachers, and health professionals to learn about empowered self-care for the body. Erica is a recognized body image expert, a force yoga lineage holder, and was also named one of the the next generation's important yoga teachers by Yoga Journal. She writes for Mind Body Green on the topic of body image challenges and is a popular repeat interviewee on the Soul Feed podcast, Hey Hey House Radio's Angel Club, and many more. Erica, welcome to Answers Network. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It is is my pleasure. I am so glad to, to really... Uh, have somebody on that we can talk about this subject because I think it's something that is is so important uh, and yet uh, we don't seem to be heading in the right direction. 
you know, at a time in which, and I can remember, you know, 20, 30 years ago when we were saying, you know, are we, are we putting too much information out there uh, as far as, as commercially trying to make people uh, be something that they're not? And now with the internet and everything, it seems like it's only gotten worse instead of better. What's your thoughts? I agree. It's gotten worse, not better. At, at the beginning at the beginning of the body image uh, diversity movement, I would say it felt like it was getting better because in social media, we had more representation. And I think representation is important that people see bodies of different sizes and shapes and skin tones and all manner of diversity <coughs> present on social media. It seemed like it was getting better. And now I, I don't think it's getting better. I think it's definitely getting worse. And, and, uh, specifically, I've heard of something new. I, I'm I'm of a generation that did, doesn't really Snapchat, so so the the notion that now there is like a, a filter dysphoria or avatar dysphoria is kind of astonishing to me. And Rachel's nodding knowingly because it's probably something you're more familiar with in your generation. Alan, do you know what we're, what we're talking about? No, I don't. But exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, so let me start by saying dysphoria, like body image dysphoria, like a classic body image dysphoria is where you don't relate to the image that you see in the mirror, that there's a huge disparity between what you see in the mirror and how you conceptualize of yourself. And this can lead to people uh, not leaving their house, not socializing, not going to work. anything really. So this was sort of classic dysphoria. Now we have avatar or uh, filter dysphoria, which is where a person mm -hmm. over identifies with their filter, with a filter or a Snapchat avatar to the degree that they don't feel comfortable as themselves in the world. And so there's a dissociation between their in real life self and their online presentation. So, yes, it's getting worse. <laughs> it's getting a lot worse. And now Mark Zuckerberg would like us to have a metaverse where these things really become separated. And uh, to me, that is in the work that I do, and I'm sure in the work you do, Rachel, that's a terrifying prospect. I, I don't I don't foresee how this is going to help. It's so, in well, hi, Erica. I'm so happy to meet you. I'm, I love your book. It's, it's, oh. it's coming in at such an important, an important time. Uh, and I, I, the reason I also like it is because I, I feel like the younger generation, oh, did we, oh, Alan, sorry, I'm going to use the screen. Um, but I feel like the younger generations can really read it and it's very digestible. And I've struggled and I'm very transparent with things I've struggled with on here. And, 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 and I, I'm guessing you are too, uh, body dysmorphia, body image issues. I have struggled with since I was a little girl, probably since I was 12 or 11. And only in this last couple years have I really felt comfortable being in my body. And so I've done so much work to get to this point. And by no means am I perfect. By no means am I fixed. Um, and I'm, and it's, and it's, it's a lot of um, daily self care to remind myself that I don't have to be fixed. Right. But the, the, just to go back to what you said, the filter thing, oh my goodness, it is so, it is so real. And I've only recently 
stopped using filters to do my stories on social media because I, I had to connect to what am I saying about myself if I can only put this perfect image, this perfect color on my face, this tan, no pimple face out in the world, and then you remove the filter and what, I'm not lovable? I'm not pretty, I'm not sexy, I'm not good enough. And it's and then I just see no one can go on their social media without having a filter on. And I'm just, my heart's breaking, it's not judgment, it's like, what are, do you understand how messed up this is? <laughs> Well, um, Erica, before you comment on that, uh, for those that saw that I somehow got dropped. So I think as soon as you mentioned Mark Zuckerberg, um, (laughs) they tried to cut the show off. It's like, oh, my God, he cut me off. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) I was like, what happened? I'm out. Um, You're out. (laughs) You're back um, now. Yes, I am. And. Uh, so, uh, Erica, uh, along with commenting on that, uh, I'd like you also to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you went through and maybe how, um, you know, how you've seen that evolve now into some of the things that Rachel's talking about. Well, to, to put things in perspective, uh, I grew up in the Midwest, so I'm originally from Madison, Wisconsin, and I did not feel I didn't feel in place there. I don't know that anybody ever feels in place anywhere, but I've only realized recently like how out of place I was in a way. My father was half English, half Puerto Rican, grew up in New Jersey. And and I've only sort of started to realize like, oh, those New Jersey accents, they kind of sound like my dad. He's been dead for many years. But um but I grew up in a in a culture that that I didn't really fit into uh, as a tall, busty brunette. I just kind of was like, I don't know what's where I fit in here. And certainly every adolescent has those questions. Where do I fit in? And I think that most adolescent girls really start to drill out down on their bodies and make their bodies the fault for that, not feeling like they fit in, which I think is more of an existential question. But long story short, I credit New York City, thank you, New York City, for helping me actually feel more at home because New York City is kind of like what I was talking about at the very beginning of of the the body image positivity movement where there was a lot of diversity, there's a lot of representation. And so when I came to New York City, I didn't feel like I was sticking out like a sore thumb. I sort of felt like I fit in everywhere. Weirdly, you know, where, where peculiar looks or unusual looks were actually valued instead of like, why don't you look like everyone else? And in the intervening time between like 12, Rachel, I think it was probably like, it's like sort of around right when you hit puberty, usually 12 and let's say 32. Um, I, you know, I spent a lot of time dieting and abusing myself with exercise And when I had a little weight gain in my early thirties, I decided that, um, that I was done, that I was done with dieting because I knew that down that road is misery. Down that road lies misery. And the thing of dieting is that, um, people are looped into, roped into thinking that it's compulsory for being, uh, a, a virtuous 
participant in society and beauty standards. And that if you're not doing it, you're not good. And that if you're not doing it well, you're failing and just getting something wrong. Right. And, and I decided to opt out of that. And I got to say, that was a very, very pivotal, pivotal moment for me to opt out of dieting like ever again. And that, that one decision, I think, really opened up a lot of different frameworks for myself because it went along with this thought. Why is it that I can only love myself if my body looks a particular way? What I've learned is that true acceptance of yourself means like no matter the content of your bank account, no matter the size of your body, that you still like yourself. And so in that moment, I challenged myself to like myself no matter what. And that Mm -hmm. was a very, very, uh, that was a transformational moment for me, for sure. I feel like I talked for a long time and you're listening. No, 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 no. Actually, no, I was, as I was thinking about it, um, first of all, when you started in that, the, um, I smiled. And one of the reasons why was because I started thinking, cause you said, you know, you know, that, that time of reaching puberty between 12 and 32. And I went, yeah. And I know some people probably that are older than that, that still haven't, you know, if it's still, if it's, if it's tied to maturity. Yeah. Um, but um, can I ask, can I ask a question really quickly? Please do. In that moment where you said, you say it all of a sudden from the South, <laughs> um, I'm not going to do this anymore. Did it come from a moment of just exhaustion from living this way? Like, did it come from a lot of pain? Because I find that with myself, anytime I want to change something, it comes from a lot of pain. And I feel like it's an important thing to talk about because I feel like talking about pain and, and like normalizing, like, hey, this is, this is how we feel when we're mm-hmm. in pain. This is how you can recognize it. And this is what you can do about it. I just feel like that's an important thing, too. So did it come from just a lot of pain in living this way? Yes and no. So yes, I would say both and. It was that, right? Because here's the thing is if if you're dieting, you're always dieting. There's never a time when you're not dieting, right? There, there there's there's only that. Because then it, let's say you you attain your goal, then then the challenge is maintaining your goal. Yeah? Right? So so you're either always on a diet or you're failing at your diet. It's one or the other, you know? But for me also, there was this dysmorphia piece that was, that was involved, which was that I felt really uncomfortable being myself and with my body, but nobody around me was giving me the feedback that there was anything wrong with me, right? And, and I think this is the disconnect a lot of times with dysmorphia is that you obsess and when you when you relate your obsession to another person, they're like, I didn't notice anything. And, and it was that sort of like me being vulnerable with other people saying like, I feel really uncomfortable. And they're like, I don't know, you look the same as you always do to me. And that, that it was at that moment that I think I was like, there's something wrong with my self-conception. 
not that there's something wrong with me, but there's something wrong with my self-conception. And that is the problem, not who or what I am, but what I think about who and what I am. And, and, and that's I, the dysmorphia piece. Right. And, and then I have a question for Rachel. So being, being raised in Southern California, uh, did you feel differently with that in the sense of it was more of what people's um, feedback was that was, that was contributing to a, a, a lack of, of self-esteem or self-worth being who you are in this body? So I didn't just grow up in Southern California. I grew up in Hollywood. Yes. So <laughs> I don't know what it's like to not live in a world where image is really important. It just comes with the territory of living, growing up around Hollywood. Uh, so I, I don't even know what it's really like to not have that in, in my, in my sphere, um, in my, in my consciousness, you know, uh, it started developing around 11 and 12 puberty. Um, but before that, you know, no one was ever telling me you're ugly. No one was ever telling me, you know, you're fat, you're gross. It was more what my subconscious was being conditioned to believe through media, through films, through shows, through mm -hmm. um, the, the, the perfect girl would get this attention by the boy. Actually, it was, it was Disney movies. <laughs> <laughs> it was Disney movies, and they were portraying this image of what a beautiful woman looks like. And I remember from a very young age, I just became obsessed with trying to become this image. And if I wasn't this image, I wasn't going to be good enough. And I wasn't going to be rescued by the prince and have a boy love me. Mm -hmm. the, so it, it, in, my, in my adult life, um, I, I feel like women and girls are really hard on each other. Um, so I, I, no one's ever said you're gross or you're ugly. Like it's no one. I mean, I have, I have friends who have struggled body dysmorphia, eating disorders. A lot of clients that I've worked with have been bullied for their weight as they, when they were children and they've had to work through the trauma around that. But for me, it, it's been more the influence from Hollywood. <laughs> of everything else around us. Yes. Everything around us. And just what children are picking up on and taking in and downloading into their nervous system and then making stories and meanings like, oh, if I look this way, I'm, that means I'm pretty. If I don't look this way, that means I'm ugly and no one will love me. <laughs> right. Which I think it is exactly what uh, Erica is saying in her book is that, you know, there's so much of this around us uh, that uh, you don't have to be, you know, specifically insulted. It's just being brought in through all these channels, um, you know, of every type of media and everything that's around us, every billboard, like you say, every movie, even if it's a Disney movie. Um, so, um, Erica, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you know, your belief that that made you start thinking, OK, not only am I now gonna, going to, um, you know, not worry about these things for myself, but I'm now going to write a book and I'm going to, to take this information and provide it out to make a positive difference in the world. Well, I'm a teacher. My, my primary skill is 
teaching and a teacher wants to help. So, so, but I do want to say, I just want to say as Rachel observed, like, like I'm not perfect and, and, and healing or a healing pathway isn't a binary You're not either like healed or not healed. It's like a constant, like sliding around on this spectrum of, and, and I think especially when neural pathways are set, are set up so young, like when we're 10, 11, 12, when they're set so young, it is a thing that will sort of kind of be with you in some way, shape or form for a long time. So I just wanted to say, while I have written this book and, and I, and I do feel like I have some expertise, um, I too am changing and growing. And so my, my, my heart's desire was to take what I had learned and to put it in a form that would be more available to people outside of a classroom setting. Because my primary work is I'm a, I'm a yoga therapist. So I spend a lot of time helping people like feel better in their body. And you're probably aware, like people feel very sick, like all the time. People do not feel well. And so this is my primary job. So unless you were talking with me one-on-one, there would be no way really that you would learn what I, what I, what I know. So I wanted to be of service because a teacher's job is, is to be of service. I wanted to be of service. Mm-hmm. And I started to think about what I had learned and, and how to organize it in basically a, a step-by-step process. Like my book is basically a how-to book. It's a very like sophisticated how-to book, but that's basically what it is. And I had one student uh, who's been one of my students for many, many years, like 10 years. She read the book and she said, I think that over those 10 years of study with Erica, I've heard almost everything that she said in the book. So so even, even if you can't get to my class or you can't study with me privately, the book, which I'm going to hold up now, the book the book will will provide teaching for you and you know not everybody can get to new york city not everybody can spend their time with me privately but i didn't want the teachings just to be only for a few i wanted them to be for everybody especially because it is my deep 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 belief that the discomfort and the violence that we feel in and around our own bodies is the, the earth upon which all other discomfort and violence springs forward from, you know, when you're good with yourself, it's very rare that you have a problem with other people. I've noticed that people who aren't good with themselves have problems with other people. When you're good with yourself, you're like, yeah, you want to have sex with that person onward. Yeah. You want to pierce your nose onward. Yeah, it's just like when you're good with you, you don't have any quibble with other people. It's a very funny thing. It's very peaceful, you know? And so it is my deep, deep deep-seated belief that this body, this disconnect that's part of modernity that we have with our body is actually the ground upon which almost every other discontent is grown. I I love what you just said because... I am a huge advocate for people understanding the impact of trauma on the body. 
And I often believe that if you are disconnected from your body, you are not really able to connect to yourself and you're not able to connect with others. If you're not able to connect with you, it's going to be very challenging for you to connect with others. And I, I think this is why in our culture, in our world, we continue this cycle of traumatizing people because we're not connected to one, our own feelings in our body. <laughs> so we cause harm because we're not connected to, to you because I'm disconnected. So we're not even conscious. We're not even here. Um, and I really just, I really believe, and I think we're going in a new direction in, in the therapeutic world where we're more focusing on the body and how the body is impacted by pain and suffering. And then how the body then cho joins the mind in our thinking and then learning how to heal the body, heal the mind, heal the soul, that it's, it doesn't have to be compartmentalized. It can be integrated cohesively all together. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and it's interesting because as you were saying that, the thought that was coming to me was, and unfortunately, I think that there are those out there that have realized that they can profit much better from keeping it this way versus allowing these changes to be made. And that's something we all need to get together on. Yes, I, yes, I, I am all for medication when people need it. I've been on medication. I am all for whatever people need in their journey at the moment that they need it. However, I have seen certain doctors in this field of substance abuse, not aware at all, not even asking questions about people's childhood. And within five minutes, they're diagnosing people with mental um, uh, you know, with mental disorders that, that, and it's like, they don't even ask them, you know, anything about their, their bodies or what their body has gone through. Right. And then, and then they, they, they get put on medication and then they just, they, a lot of clients I've worked with, unfortunately don't get better just by being put on medication. And that's why I love that you do yoga. Cause there has to be, there has to be a practice of, energy movement in the body and healing that's not just like slap a band-aid on it and think it's just going to go away what well, what are your thoughts on that erica because i know i just said a lot and and, and again I, I i really am not saying i don't believe in medication that's not what i'm saying but i i do believe that people sometimes instead of doing the work they just want a quick fix exactly that's it yeah so I am very grateful to uh, Western medicine for, for pharmaceuticals because I have migraine headaches and without medicine for my migraine headaches, I would not be a functional human yeah. at all. I would, I would, I would be, you know, balled up in a corner rocking and sucking my thumb probably. So Same. very, very grateful. Yeah. And This process of disconnecting people from their bodies has been going on for a very, very long time. Um, I write about it a little bit in the book about the, the mechanization of the body and where the body became, where the heart was just like a, a pump, you know, and, and the muscles are just like gears. We, this has been going on for a very long time. And so we are sort of at a, at a, a very culmination of this, um, where, where, like you said, many people who are suffering or in pain, they would, they would just like it to go away now. And 
what I've found through my work is that it's a, it's a very, very small slice of the population who really wants to do the work to recover deeply. I would say deeply. There's a lot of people who would like to recover shallowly and now, <laughs> but deeply and now is a different matter. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of factors at work for this. One is, is time. It actually takes a lot of time for you to, to recover and not have a bandaid. You know, it takes many, many years. I mean, I've been working on this since I, you know, for 15, 16, 20, 20 years. And a lot of people, if they're like, so you'll get better in 20 years. They're like, so show me the pill, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how about now? Can we talk about now? And since, since COVID, I have been making a practice of doing less, of slowing down. And I recognize that that is a bit of a luxury in a way, because the demands of parenthood, for instance, are faster now. Yeah. So much of the demands of life actually take people in a different direction. I've noticed that when people want to solve these problems are kind of like Rachel, when you said when they're in so much pain that they cannot like turn away from this anymore, or when your body just brings you the bill. It's like, so here's the bill for all the Xanax you've been taking for the past 15 years. And it's called a mental breakdown, you know, like here it is, here is your bill. But I've noticed that those inflection points of pain usually are at moments of crisis too. So it's a divorce, a chronic illness, a death, a change of job, something like that. And those aren't necessarily the times when people go like, no, I want to do a deep dive. Sometimes that's the moment where they're like, where's the life raft? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, my co-host today is Rachel Coe. Our guest is Erica Mather, and we are talking about her book, Your Body, Your Best Friend. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Answers Network. Founded over 30 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis, Westshield has continually focused on resolving issues that negatively impact families and businesses. Our signature therapeutic transportation service helps to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely transported to specialized school programs and treatment by our full-service licensed investigation agency that has legally, professionally, and compassionately located hundreds of runaways and teens. We are experienced and qualified to help, offering solutions which may include referrals to our international network of top professionals in the fields of educational consulting, psychology, psychiatry, and investigations. Simply put, West Shield Adolescent Services and West Shield Investigations are the best solutions when your family is facing a personal crisis. Call 1-800-899-8585, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's 1-800-899-8585, or visit our website at westshield.com. Thank you. And we're back. Um, 
Our guest today is Erica Mather. With me is Rachel Cove, and we're talking about body image issues. Uh, now, we have gotten some questions that have been sent in. And again, I want to thank those that take the time to send in these questions. I know many of them come in where they say that they're teachers, they're working with their class in the middle of the day, so they'll send it in ahead of time uh, so that we can ask it during the show, and then they tell us that they listen afterwards and sometimes make great comments. Now, this first one reads, my granddaughter, who is only 16 years old, is obsessed with makeup. She is stunningly beautiful without anything, but I believe because she has gained a little weight and is ashamed of her body, she is overcompensating. It got me to thinking about so many uh, other women that I know of various ages, and it struck me that many of them that gain body weight uh, increase the amount of time and money they spent on their manicures, hairstyles, uh, and again, the increase in makeup. Do you agree that this is perhaps a mass phenomenon of overcompensation related to insecurity with their bodies? And this is from uh, Annika in New York. Erica? I was going to say Rachel. <laughs> um, oh, totally up to you. You go first. Well, what's really interesting is I just had this experience yesterday and today as I was putting makeup on. And it's so relevant to this question because when I was a little girl, I loved makeup and it wasn't because I loved altering my face. It wasn't because I loved altering my, you know, the way I looked, it was, I just, it felt like a, an expression of art and it, and it felt like just a way of expression. And I loved the colors and I just loved what could happen with the makeup. And then as I got older, my relationship to the makeup changed where I needed it to alter the way I looked so that I could get attention from people and feel loved. So I feel as though it's really about your relationship to the makeup. What does the makeup, like, what are you using the makeup for? Um, Sometimes, I mean, I work with a lot of therapists who ha are, have such fear of wearing makeup. And so, again, it's kind of like you have to understand your relationship to the makeup. What is the relationship? What, like, what is the makeup doing for you? Is, is it changing who you are because you can't stand to be with who you are or because you feel invisible without makeup? Or is it just enhancing something that's already there and you love and you love how it makes you feel? Um, so that's that's my answer. I was just thinking mm -hmm. about that yesterday because I was looking at the color of my eyeshadow. I was like, oh, my God, that is so pretty. I genuinely love doing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think it is about I would say to Annika, I would say ask your granddaughter. Like just go straight to the source and say something like, "Hey, hon, I've noticed that you're like spending a lot more time with your makeup. Tell me about that. Like what's it doing for you? What what what's what's happened?" And that there you'll you'll get an answer. It's a lot easier, I think, to extrapolate and then to create a theory. And, and we just don't know. We just don't mm -hmm. know. So I would say just ask that, ask that kid and, and maybe preface it by saying something complimentary, you know, so that they're not on their back foot or they're not on guard. But you could say to that, that, that kid, you could say, I really you 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 are so masterful with the makeup it's a it's amazing 
Like you've been giving it a lot of attention recently. Tell me about it. I love that. I love that because I feel like that's such a gentle way of being curious. And because I was thinking of myself as a rebellious teenager, I'm like, if you try and take away anything from me or judge me, like, I'm just going to, I'm not, I'm going to shut down. Mm-hmm. But if you come in trying to understand me, understand why I like makeup, like, or you tell me I'm validated, I'm going to feel safe, safer to open up to you. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And as you were saying it, and I was thinking, you know, that the moment in which you demonize it, they're going to shut down. So so the, the way that you approach it, I think, is great. And the way in which for Annika, the way in which she even put it in the question, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, you are, you know, you're both beautiful with or without it. You know, you know, th- that makes that makes perfect sense to to not demonize anything, but to just ask questions like you're saying to learn more about um, why it uh, seems like it's becoming more important. So I love that. We've got another question. Uh, This one uh, says, uh, I was 45 years old when I finally broke free of the constant dissatisfaction with my body. Um, But uh, it could not happen for me until I moved out of the city and started spending time in the natural environment. Somehow the expansiveness of being outdoors, watching the scenes uh, change with the weather, Uh, Walking uh, amongst the trees and uh, observing the birds and the animals was life changing uh, within a few few weeks. Uh, I felt healthier, um, more relaxed and totally unfocused on what I looked like. My husband commented that I looked younger with uh, what he called a natural beauty. But most of all, he felt that he that I was happy. I know that most women do not have the chance to experience what I have, but I do believe that even a short time in nature can be of great benefit. Can you share your thoughts on this? This is from Jackie in Alabama. Hi, Jackie in Alabama. Well, I actually have two homes. I I live in New York City and sometimes I'm in, in Virginia, Salem, Virginia. And so I have this sort of this urban life, It's not rural, but, you know, like country life, we'll call it. And I do think that urban life makes people a a bit self-obsessive. You know, it's definitely you're in the city to do a thing, to be a person, to to um, make a wave, to create create something. And and some time in nature, for sure, can help you put it in perspective. Absolutely. It's not all about you. Mm-hmm. You're not that important. So yeah, I could see how that definitely works. I mean, I know when I go to Virginia, I definitely like am wearing the same clothes for a long time, bathing a lot less. And um, there's a lot less sort of like, I need to be presentable. So I think that I need to be presentable kind of impulse definitely um, will make you think a lot more about you and a lot less about like how you fit into the design of things. And when you go and spend some time in nature, the design of things is all around you and you're the odd thing out. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I could see how that could happen for you. It's interesting because her, I was smiling as, as you were beginning the, the, the preamble to the question because I said earlier, it was actually coming to New York that helped me put down 
my self-obsession because I saw diversity here amongst human beings. And the flip, the flip part of that is, you know, human beings are diverse by design, right? What we see as, as beauty is less than 4% of the population. So there's another 96% of the population that represents what human beings look like. And I think about nature. Nature loves diversity. That's like there, why there's 8.6 million species on the planet. And so if you understand nature, nature appreciates diversity, then, then we should also see that that is valuable amongst human beings and that human beings who look like Ellen and human beings who look like Rachel and human beings who look like Erica and human beings who look like Annika and human beings who look like the lady from Alabama, that they are all representations of nature and they are valuable. Rachel, what do you think? I agree with you. I, um, I was just thinking about the, the lives of celebrities <laughs> and just the way that Los Angeles and Hollywood and how they set up celebrities to be the examples of what we're supposed to look like. And I just think it's such bullshit because <laughs> they're just superhuman and a camera is not on, on them 24 seven. But this camera is supposed to show you by design an image in order to sell something that they're wearing or an image. It's supposed to sell an image for profit for um, for people to buy whatever it is that they're selling. Um, and it's 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 hard. There's there's so much pressure. I, I don't know why my mind went in this direction, but I was I was actually thinking about something that you wrote in your book that I um, that is all connected to this, which you said we live in a society positively obsessed with the idea that certain things will make you happy. And I was thinking about nature, like nature's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm looking at this tree outside, I'm like, it's totally chill like it it is fine whether it's raining it's fine whether it's you know there's a lot of wind going by like the only thing that messes with that tree is like a human being trying to axe that tree down otherwise it's content um because the tree isn't going oh well that tree next to me is so fat and so ugly and oh my god and that tree next to me is just like so much prettier than me it's not thinking constantly and it doesn't have social media to constantly compare you to. So I think when you go into nature and you realize the the vastness and the abundance and the, the beauty and that there's so much more to this like life than this phone and this image, like you're you're gonna feel regulated. Like you're gonna feel more at ease. And it's like this comparing thing. I, I know I do it. I, I just this comparing thing of like Oh, I, I scroll down on social media. This person looks so much better in a bikini than me. Oh my God. I'm never going to be loved. Like it just goes <laughs> so quickly. So fast. So fast. And that's the problem. And again, I I really have healed so much from this, but I think that's a general problem in our culture is this comparing issue. Mm -hmm. And this, this comparing issue also of like, 
I'm going to be happy once I get that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's this like, and I loved how you, because I actually had never really understood how the presidents of the United States have influenced us back in the day. Like you have the right to, I forget how you said it, but how he said it. Do you remember what, was it Thomas Jefferson or was it? Well, so Rachel's talking about the first chapter of my book, which is about happiness. And mm -hmm. one of the things I do is I pull apart the idea of happiness and what it means. So happiness is life, liberty, and the, uh, pursuit, and the pursuit of, of the pursuit happiness. Of happiness. happiness. Yeah. And the, and it, you, and, and they were debating whether it should be life, liberty, and property. And is this what you're talking about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so there was a debate about whether that third thing should be property. And I bring up, bring up the, the question like, did, did the forefathers who wrote the Constitution, did, were they saying that property and happiness were equivalencies? Are we talking about the same thing? Yeah. 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 And, and so my point was, this is very interesting because it's sort of baked into the DNA of our country that, that these two things may be synonymous. If you have property, you're happy, right? Which is sort of a capitalist notion. <laughs> um, so um, where were you going with it? No, I was just, I mean, I don't know where I was going with it. It was just kind of this idea of, again, back to this body stuff, right? Like these girls, these, and boys deal with this too. I can't tell you yeah. how many men, again, I think it's just more socially acceptable for women to struggle with body issues. Um, but men deal with it so much. Um, but I, I, again, like in the, in with women, it's okay. I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy when my lips are bigger. I'm going to be happy when I have no wrinkles on my face. How do I get no wrinkles in my face? Botox. I'm going to be happy when I have this. And I think where it's like where we need to find happiness is in now, in this moment where I'm at right now. I remember when I was 60 pounds overweight after I had my son. And I remember it was such a challenge for me to like what I was seeing. And I don't think there's anything wrong if you need to lose weight or if you want to lose weight. But can I love myself 60 pounds overweight, right? I think that's where you were talking about in the beginning. Can I love myself? Um, you know, even with these stretch marks on my stomach that never went away or my saggy breasts that happened after having a baby, right? Like, can we find love for ourselves no matter where we are at in our body? And I think that's kind of the point of your book is how do you make your body your best friend and see that your body is designed for you? It's this beautiful machine for you, not against you, not to be shamed toxically all the time. Well, you know, I, I wish that we had another hour that we could we could go into this. Um, what I do want to end with, though, Erica, is, you know, I, I love the fact uh, that you have some simple tools in your book uh, for all of us to be able to improve our self-esteem. Can you share a couple of the tools that you speak about in your book? Um, and we've only got about two minutes. Sure. Do you want me to talk about them or do you want me to guide something or... What, whatever you're more comfortable with. Well, it's very funny writing a book about creating a relationship with your body because your body doesn't speak English. So, <laughs> so, That's really good. It's true. So, so the first tip and to creating a relationship with your body 
is to start to learn its language. You got to learn its language. And here are the four languages, the, the innate inherent languages of your body are breath, movement, touch, and food. Unfortunately, food is one of them. It's one of the innate sort of languages. If you think about it, when, you, when you're born, the first thing you do is you breathe in. That is life. That is your body engaging with the world. I'm alive. Then you cry. And then someone picks you up and you are touched. And you are touching. And you move. And then eventually you eat. So it should all happen like very fast. These are very basic fundamental. So the kind of breathing that we're taught as young people, I have this theory that we're that the first time we're taught to take a deep breath is in a traumatic situation. It's usually in a doctor's office with a stethoscope on your chest and they say, take a deep breath in and then you go, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that is the exact opposite of a deep breath. That's a traumatized breath. That's a breath that says, I'm frightened. Things aren't okay. You see how it hikes up your shoulders yeah. to, to protect your neck, right? Because that's what your shoulders do. They protect your neck. So the, so the breath thing is fundamental to connecting to your body. And I will guide something now, just very simple, so that you can you, you and, your, and the listeners can try it. And it is slowing down the breath. So a deep breath is a long, slow, satisfying breath. So could you exhale out for a count of three, two, one, and then inhale for three, two, one. So let's do that together. So sit up tall and exhale out through the nose for three, two, one. Inhale, three, two, one. Exhale, three, two, one. Inhale, three, two, one. Exhale, three, two, one. Inhale, three, two, one. Exhale, three, two, one. Inhale, three, two, one. So that's the first step is you have to make friends with your body in its own language. Movement, find a kind of movement that you do for pleasure, that you don't do because it's going to make you thinner or faster or fitter or stronger, that you do just because... When you do it, your body's like, oh, yeah, just like, mm -hmm. mm, rrr, yum. Yeah. And you may be like, I really love running on this treadmill. I do. It makes my soul shimmer when I do it. Okay, fine. Right. This is a very personal thing that you got to find the way to engage with the world that your body's like, yay. The touch thing is funny. I, I'm particular about clothing because we're touched all the time by fabric. Mm -hmm. So it's like, notice, do you like the fabric? Do you like the feeling of the fabric or are you tolerating it? A lot of times I think people tolerate their clothes. 
But if you notice, like, do I like this? Is it comfortable? Is it squeezing me too much? Right? Make the clothes. That This is the primary way that we engage with touch, actually, is through our clothes. Right? So make sure that you enjoy it. Yes? Right. Erica, so I'm, I'm getting notification from the studio that we are out of time. But again, thank you. And again, I would I would love to continue this for everybody out there. Get the book. There is there is so much more great information. And it's something that for our mental health, there's the book right there. It's something for our mental health that helps all of us. I think most of us know that there is breathing we can do, that there's movement we can do, there that the value of touch and what we should and shouldn't be eating. But all of this is in the book. So uh, pick it up. Um, what's the best website for people to, if they want to reach you or the best way for people to reach you, Erica? www.ericamather.com. All right. And Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. I knew you would be wonderful on this subject. You're wonderful every time we talk. Um, what's the best way if people want to get in touch with you? Uh, you can follow me. Thank you, Erica. You're amazing. I love your book. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, my Instagram uh, at Rachel Cove, or you can go to my company's website, transformationalsolutions.com. All right. And for everybody out there next week, we're going to be joined by coach Gary Waters. Um, and you're not going to want to miss it because he really goes into the 10 principles of character and it's wonderful. I've spoken with him and for everybody out there, just be good human beings and be with us again next week on answers network. Thank you, Alan. You're listening to Answers Network with Alan Cardoza, only on LA Talk Radio.